John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand everywhere on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Now, John Clayton. Well, we did get a start. The start of the football season is already here. One game in the books. 14-point victory for the Buffalo Bills over uh, a disappointing Houston Texans team. Team right now that just uh, looks pretty bad on defense. But I tell you what, it was with great ease that uh, they were able to win this game for the Chiefs. And you can see offensively, they are fantastic. They are really good. And so now it's a matter, okay, what comes next? How do you try to you know get ready for uh, the next wave of games coming up this weekend? So we have plenty to talk about, plenty to keep you updated on. And so let's get going with the five biggest stories of the day. Number one. Second down and three. What a debut for this guy. And he's over 100 yards. That's 102 yards on a 27-yard touchdown run. So 34-20 was it. And, of course, now you can take a look at the offense that was one of the best in football. It only scored 28.2 points a game last year. And the year before, Patrick Mahomes threw 50 touchdown passes. I mean, it was pretty evident that it was, they were able to take this by ease. But why it's a better offense is because Clyde Edwards-Hilaire looks like the real deal and looks like the rookie of the year. 138 yards rushing and a touchdown. And, really, at one point, the game was 31-7. to Then they gave up... Uh, uh, two touchdowns in the later part of the game that were kind of meaningless. And what's interesting is that Andy Reid is usually a 60% thrower as far as 60% of the offense is going to be passing. He likes to have that. Well, I mean, it was 34 runs and 33 pass passing plays. You know, one sack, 32 pass attempts. Mahomes was just efficient. He basically just took what was there, went 24 for 32 for 211 yards and three touchdowns, but it looked real good. Chiefs defense were able to sack Deshaun Watson four times, and as much money as been put into the receiving core, I mean, it was pretty pathetic to watch what was out there as far as what the receivers were able to do. I think they must have made a mistake letting DeAndre uh, Hopkins go in that trade. And so you can see the several problems for Houston. One was expected. They weren't going to be is good on defense because they keep on you know losing players to keep offensive guys there and you know when you have uh, what roughly uh what three uh they got four off four wide receivers two offensive linemen a running back and a quarterback making over 10 million dollars that's eight out of 11 and you can only uh, score 23 points a game last year and you're able to you know really struggle just to get 20 points against the chiefs when basically they were running out of cornerbacks i just just think it's terrible and of course what happens now is that the Chiefs are going to stay on a roll, and now you have to see if Houston's going to get off to an 0-2 start, because guess what? Next week they play Baltimore, so uh, that's not good, and of course down the line here in the first four weeks, they have to play Minnesota, so I think you could have the chance right now that here's this Texas team that just gave Deshaun Watson $39 million a year, and it could be off to a bad start and not make the playoffs. Number two. Now, you know, I've, I've played baseball. I don't think these guys have played, you know, minor league baseball before. I've, I've been in stadiums where nobody's around and you're just out there by yourself and you're working every day. So this is this is A-OK for me. But I think at the end of the day, I'd rather play in front of, the, you know, you know, thousands and thousands of fans. And, and uh, that's always the tough part, traveling the road. I, I, I embrace going on the road, you know, for example, you know, going on the road and playing in tough environments. It's one of my favorite parts of playing quarterback and playing on this team and you know, those, those two-day trips and, and having to go into a tough environment in front of all those fans. 
Yeah, so Russell Wilson talking about the adjustment that he, he and everybody has to make with no fans in the stands. They had 15,000 in the stands last night for the Chiefs, but uh, no fans are going to be in Atlanta which I guess is not going to be a surprise at all. Uh, who knows when? I, I saw that the New Orleans Saints, uh, their third game of the season, which was supposed to be at home, is not going to be open to the fans. So what you have to try to do is leave today, make sure that everybody takes care and not go outside the hotel once they get there, go to the stadium, and then just try to get the victory. Now, we'll get an injury update as time goes on here. But uh, right now, the idea is, you know, can Russell Wilson get a little bit more of his early throws as, as opposed to just run, run, pass, run, run, pass we'll see about that and I would imagine that's probably going to be the case you know the key too is going to be you know what it what it looks like for the uh, offensive line going against the defensive line of the Falcons which is pretty light I mean that's the one thing you know both teams only had 28 sacks and so the quarterbacks that get sacked or get to the quarterback from the defensive line the, those are the ones that have a good success now the pregame show is going to be at 7 a.m. the kickoff is going to be at 10 you'll be able to hear it on 710 ESPN Seattle number three the offensive line's come together great. Again, when you have a guy like Dwayne and, and Mikey on the left, that's that's kind of your, your your veteran group that you're like, okay, we know what we're getting. Ethan's done a tremendous job at center. He really has. Uh, so thrilled for him. All the hard work, the way he approaches um, just his preparation through the week. You know, when you come in off the practice field during training camp when it's hot and sweaty, he's the first one, sometimes the only one in the locker room. Uh, that's so cool to see from Ethan. That's Brian Schottenheimer talking about uh, what's happening on the offense. And, of course, uh, health-wise, the team's in good shape. Dwayne Brown, of course, hasn't practiced the last two days. I still think he's going to be able to play. Cedric Abouye was limited with a pec injury. Philip Dorsett with a foot. He was limited. Will Disley with an Achilles. Limited. They're just kind of taking care of him. And Jamarco Jones had an illness. And so I would expect that Dwayne Brown's going to play. Uh, it was, it's the same knee that he had surgery on last season. So, you know, as an older player, just trying to, to nurse that and get it through. I know that Pete Carroll is going to speak today at 2 o'clock after practice, and then the team departs for Atlanta. So stay tuned for that. But really, when you think about it, both teams in reasonably good shape. There were some concerns about you know, cornerback A.J. Terrell for the, uh, for the Falcons, but he was on the practice field today. Uh, so we'll see where that goes. I know that Marlon Davidson probably won't play with a knee injury. He's a defensive tackle. But overall, both teams in good shape health-wise going into the first game, and we'll see how it goes as far as the offense and what Brian Schottenheimer calls. Number four. A tough series in San Francisco with a team that was uh, probably the only other team in the big leagues that was playing as hot as we had been for the for the previous two weeks or so, and and we ran into it. You know, I thought really unfortunate that L.J. Newsom wasn't able to get through the second inning after being hit with a line drive, and you know that that made the pitching a little bit turbulent in game one and, and then yesterday we just never really got on track offensively and, and it's tough to come back when, when the pitching gives up 10 runs yeah, and it was just one of those bad games, and they've had those a lot early, but uh, not too many of late. But you know, after a day break, now everybody comes back and starts to uh, get ready uh, to for a series against Atlanta. And of course, Atlanta. Or I'm sorry, not Atlanta, but I'm thinking of the Falcons. But you know, they get a series against Arizona, a team right now that really is in tough shape. 
a team right now that's not very good at all, one of the worst in the American, in the National League. And so that's going to go. Uh, you say Kikuchi is going to be able to start against Arizona. He's won his last two starts, and last Friday he only gave up two hits in six innings in a great performance. Now, as far as uh, injury news, they got some good news on LJ Newsom. He's expected to make the next start. He had a ball that uh, came off his hand on a throwing hand, and of course uh, that happened in the San Francisco series. So, chance right now for the Mariners to see how close they can get to 500. The two losses to San Francisco did push things back because they were really kind of surprised. Surprising everybody, and I thought maybe in this little stretch of seven games against San Francisco and Arizona, maybe they could get to 500. But the setback in San Francisco is going to prevent that from happening. You'll be able to hear the pregame show here at uh, 5:30. The first pitch is going to be at 6:40, and that's here on 7:10 ESPN Seattle. Number five. It's just strange, man. We live in a strange time where some people are playing, some people aren't. Who decides whether we play or not? And not the NCAA, it's the individual Power 5 leagues, and if we have information, why didn't we share it? It's just more the reason why I think the NCAA won't exist in the future and why the Power 5 is going to have their own, uh, you know, committee together to represent to represent themselves in, in the best way, and so it's more uniform in the future, because we're not going to play, we're going to play, we have info, we don't, so, you know, that needs to change across college football. Yeah, in the strangest season in college football history, the ACC and the Big 12 are going to start tomorrow. Uh, and what's going to also be weird about it, it's like you don't even know who's going to be on the field. You know, the teams that may or may not be on the field, but sometimes you don't know the players because so many players with first-round grades are opting out if they have the ability to do it and not risking their bodies that could hurt their NFL futures. And so in the ACC, Clemson, the number one team, and Trevor Lawrence, who's expected to be the number one pick in the draft, who is going to be on the field. They go on the road to take on Wake Forest. That starts the season. You'll be able to watch that on ABC at 4.30. Then number 10 Notre Dame, they open up in their first ACC schedule at home against Duke. That's going to be on NBC. Then on the Big 12, Oklahoma, number 5 in the nation, takes on Missouri State. Then you have Texas, number 14, taking on UTEP. And so far, multiple schools across the NCAA will allow limited crowds at around 25%. You saw that it didn't go bad last night in Kansas City, and so you can see how that 25% is going to go in colleges. You have to make sure there's good spacing and everything else, but uh, you know it came off smooth as far as that goes, and the crowd, eh, some noise, not a lot, but uh, you know it didn't get too big, but I had to see what the players had to end up thinking about it as they looked back. But nevertheless, college football starting, no Pac-12, no Big Ten, but the ACC Big 12, and of course, later on, by the 20, uh, last week of the uh, month, you'll be able to start to see the SEC as they start to get in there. You can listen to the show via the 710 Sports app. It's powered by the Dubin Law Group. Coming up next, we're going to go under further review. And so what players need to play well in the game Sunday for Seattle if they need to beat Atlanta? It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. Under further review with John Clayton. We'll review the play. So we get the big game coming up on Sunday, Atlanta, and don't know exactly the Atlanta team that uh, they're going to see because last year they saw a bad version of the Atlanta team because they came out and they you know were one and seven right at the for the bye week because Seattle scored like 24 points in the first half and it was going to be a blow away. Then they started coming back and so now it's a matter of okay they come back the Falcons do they win six out of their last eight and uh, you know are they are and I would imagine the team's going to be somewhere in between the one and seven and six and two. Certainly they have some issues at the cornerback position. You know they definitely have some problems as far as where they are at the, on the uh, stopping the run. That was a problem for him last year. And so now what 
what guys need to step up and really have good games if the Seahawks are going to get a road win to start the season. And so that was a question that was on Danny and Gallant, and we got the opinions of Michael Bumpus. Who's got to play well on Sunday if the Seahawks are going to win, Bump? Now, you look at the Atlanta Falcons, and the first name that pops into mind is, is Julio Jones, right? Julio, Julio, 10 catches, 152 yards, and a touchdown last year against these guys. So you're going to say the secondary. The secondary has to ball out. And then you look at the Falcons' run game. They're only averaging 85 yards a game. Last year, they averaged 85 yards a game. So, um, But I'm going to go with the defensive line, and specifically, I'm going to go with Jay Reed. I think Jay Reed has to set the tone. He is the guy on that defensive line who has been here for a while. He's proven that he can play at a high level. He had a down year last year. They got Todd Gurley now to to make up for that 85 yards a game that they averaged last year. So this is a big play-action team. If you look at this offense, I watched the film of this offense, and I'm like, goodness, like there are some similarities when it comes to this offense. There's some similarities when it comes to this defense. But when you add a guy like Todd Gurley, they did it for a reason. They know their run game was weak. It was weak. So... To establish the pass, you must establish the run. So I'm going to put it on the defensive line, specifically Jay Reed. I want him to come out. We need him to come out and just be the guy we saw in 2018, get to the quarterback, be good in the run game. And that's what everyone, what people are saying that the Hawks are missing with not having Clowney, right? The run game. Who's going to stop the run? Who's going to who, who's going to clog the gaps? Puna and Jay Reed. But I'm going to put it on Jay Reed. Jay Reed needs the ball because I feel like Jamal Adams is going to do his thing. Shaquille's going to do his thing. Um, uh, Dunbar and Flowers, whoever gets that spot is going to do their thing. The secondary is solid. It's new, but it's solid. That defensive line needs to ball out. Contain Todd Gurley. Jay Reed, get it done. Let's go. Yeah, I, no, I I agree with Michael. We'll be talking to him in a little bit later, eleven o'clock. But uh, what, what I also look at is that uh, you know they have to have you know all the guys in the secondary playing at their best because you know Matt Ryan can put four hundred yards on you in any given game. He's that good. Uh, the offensive line, of course, is an issue right now for the Falcons. But what I'm thinking is that what you're what you're going to see is that uh, they they have a great chance to uh, you know do the secondary because now uh, the secondary is not going to have to play as much zone as they did last year. They can kind of match up. You can have, you know, Quint, uh, oh, DeAndre, uh, you can have, you know, all the guys right now trying to maybe double uh, Julio Jones and try to contain him. It's going to be three receiver sets. So Marquise Blair clearly in his new role as being the slot guy, the nickel guy, he has to have a, a very good game. He can't get lost out there. Uh, whether it's Dunbar or Flowers, they definitely need the most out of those, either one of those guys or both, and I would imagine that both are going to play. Then also I think that you have to see that uh, they, need, they need the pass rush. Who's going to step up? So I'm going to put it on LJ Collier to uh, you know show that he deserves that starting job and he can you know at, at least advance from last year. He's in great shape. He uh, looked good so far in what he was able to do on the field in practice. So I think those guys have to step up. Then of course uh, you know at the wide receiver position they need uh, both starters to be able to do well. DK Metcalf and they should do well and also Tyler Lockett because they're going against a rookie and A.J. Terrell, and they're going against Oliver, who's a you know struggling second-year guy. And so I think there's an advantage there. But And, of course, like anything else, it still always comes down to Russell Wilson. So, Curtis, what do you foresee as far as how that should go? Yeah, I like what Bump had to say about Jaron Reed being sort of the straw that's going to stir the drink on the defensive line. And, and he mentioned Atlanta, Atlanta's run game, which – 
Uh, I think the Falcons spent a good majority of this offseason, at least on offense, figuring out how they can improve that. Uh, getting Todd Gurley, which is one of the ultimate wild cards in the NFL because of the injuries that he sustained over the last couple of years, but you know when he's healthy, he's one of the best running backs in the NFL. But there, those are few and far between those times. KJ Wright yesterday in his uh, meeting with the press, uh, he spoke about what Seattle can do to stop Todd Gurley. We just got to got to tackle well. We know that with Atlanta, um, they had Freeman there and they had a lot of success with him. But this game, we. They had a whole offseason to come up with new concepts, new ways to fit Gurley. And so it's got to be reach your keys and get to the ball and tackle really well. Um, we didn't get the chance to tackle much um, in the offseason. However, we tackled our whole lives, and so we know what to do. And so he's going to get his carries. I know that you know, he's on a mission as far as leaving the Rams, going back home. He wants to make a good first impression, and so do we. And so it's going to be a good, fun battle like we always have with him. John, I, I think one of the... Not necessarily overlook things of the off season, but one thing that it might sneak up on people uh, is just how Seattle defended against the run last year. They weren't very good at it, and uh, like KJ mentioned, they have to get better at tackling. They got to get better at wrapping guys up. Do you think Atlanta's run game as is, and I mean it is so tough to predict how Todd Gurley's going to look on Sunday. Do you think that presents a threat to Seattle? It does, but uh, that's what you have to kind of match up. And that, and I think KJ's right about the idea because you saw it last night, particularly with Houston. Tackling was a big issue because you haven't tackled hardly anybody. I'm sure you've had a couple scrimmages and you've had some padded practice, but you really haven't gone out and fully tried to tackle. But that the the thing I think that helps Seattle is that uh, how limited is Todd Gurley going to be? It's not like the Todd Gurley of three years ago where you know he can get 30 touches or 25 touches. I mean they're going to limit him to between 15 and 25. Touches and so it's going to be. It's not going to be like one back. I know that as Michael Bumpus said, there was a three back uh, kind of rotation that they used last year. But if Todd Gurley is pretty much you know the one guy, they're going to have to rely on some of the other guys just to fill the void because with that knee, they've got to be cautious on that. And you know they. They definitely, if you're going to be the Falcons, they have to have some improvement on the offensive line. But you wonder because that was a problem for them last year. It was. It definitely was. John, offensively for Seattle, it's Russell Wilson. We know it starts and ends with him. But who on the offense besides Russ do you think needs to have a great game in order for Seattle to come away with a victory? Well, I think that uh, Chris Carson, because uh, you know <clears throat> this this team still the staple is not necessarily let Russ cook, but let Chris Carson and the running backs run, and that's going to be the key. Now, I think what's going to be interesting to watch, and you saw some of that last night with Patrick Mahomes, is that uh, you know you kind of mix it up a little bit, and that's why I think you're going to see uh, two tight end sets a little bit more too, because I don't think it's just going to be run 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 pass run run pass I think they'll try to mix it up and you know really in many ways let uh, you know Russell kind of make some audibles and see different things and do different things and that's I think the key but I think you know the running game and Chris Carson that's one that has to go well because it's such an important staple for the way this team's going to be and you watched last night and again I was just so stunned that uh, Andy Reid called 34 running plays and 33 pass plays because that's just unlike him but uh, you know, and of course, it's funny because uh, you, you, on the let Russ uh, cook type scenario, you're thinking, oh, yeah, well, it's like they'll probably just call 50 50 50. And it's like, well, that's a little bit what uh, Andy Reid did. And, you know, they've got the most explosive offense in football. 
Well, yeah, and, and Kansas City's running game was working great. Here's uh, Brian Schottenheimer yesterday talking to the media, saying he'd love to get all four running backs uh, some playing time. Chris looks great. You know, we're, we're thrilled that Chris is back. Uh, he's looking great. He'll be ready to roll. Carlos, like I mentioned, uh, awesome addition. Travis Homer um, is a guy that we just truly trust that he's going to be on top of his assignment. He's going to give us everything he's got. Another guy like DK, he's kind of a tone setter. Just when he's out there, you're going to get one thing from him, and that's all that he's got. And he's going to be physical. He's going to play the right style. And then DJ Dallas is, of course, the guy that we're really excited about from what we've seen from him both as a runner but as a receiver as well. So um, a really cool, cool backfield, a bunch of tools. And then, again, you know, you guys ask quite a bit. You never know how the carries are going to unfold or how the touches are going to unfold, but uh, we'd love to get all those guys some playing time. John, with how deep Seattle's running back room is heading into week one, and that's a running back room that doesn't have Rashad Penny right now, How do you see them divvying up the carries? Mm, I think it's going to probably be about maybe uh, you know 16 carries for Chris Carson because I don't think they want to overdo it, particularly knowing that uh, he missed so much time in training camp because of the unfortunate deaths that he had in his family, and so he's you know just getting back. So I think they're going to have to limit it. So if, I think no more than 16, and it could just be 13, and then I think Carlos Hyde very well could get maybe 10, and then we'll see about uh, Homer and DJ Dallas and all those those two guys too. But uh, yeah. Yeah, and I think Pete kind of tipped it off the other day as far as the entire team. You know, it's hard to ask uh, the entire team, other than the offensive linemen, to go out there and play 60-some snaps because, again, they're not used to it. You know, you're you're going to wear out. You're going to get injuries. And so uh, I would have to think there's going to be a lot of rotation on that running back position. You know, certainly, I mean, you can maybe justify, you know, 80%, 85% with the wide receivers, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Uh, you can see that, uh, you know, there'll be you know, a little juggling at the tight end position. And then on defense, you're going to have definitely more rotation on the uh, defensive line. Uh, and so you have to try to watch on that. So I'd have to think that, uh, you know, you're not going to overdo it. You should not overdo it in the first game, particularly after a training camp that uh, only had 14 padded practices, no preseason, no offseason program. Hey, tell your smart speaker to play 710 ESPN. Remember, you can always listen to 710 on your smart speaker or app. Coming up next, we'll get your preview of the Atlanta Falcons. D. Orlando Ledbetter from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution joins us. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. It's John Clayton. Power through the Alaska Airlines studio. Two hours every day, 10 to noon. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Okay, game coming up with the opener is, of course, going to be the Seahawks against the Atlanta Falcons. And, of course, who covers the Falcons and does such a great job is D. Ledbetter, Daryl Ledbetter from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And so uh, last year, right before the bye week, uh, what turned out to be seven out of eight losses, Seattle went there and, you know, dominated the first half and then struggled in the second half. All of a sudden after that, the Falcons came back. What kind of Falcon team is it? Is it the team that started one and seven last year or the team that finished six and two? I think it's uh, we're going to see a combination of it if a couple things happen on defense. We think Fowler's better than Big Beasley and Keanu Neal coming back. Should help that defense out immensely. Offensive, then, you know, they don't fall down 24 to nothing in the game like they did last year. So they're in the game. And then offensively, this line is back, uh, but maybe they don't have to be in so many obvious passing situations with the Todd Gurley at running back. So, you know, they've upgraded, uh, obviously, in some spots uh, to, to make this team, 
you know, maybe better than the uh, certainly the one and seventeen, and maybe just as good or uh, uh, close to the uh, sixty-two team that uh, went on the second half of the season run there. Yeah. So what? What? Tell me what happened because again, it seemed like. Uh, Dan Quinn went against his, you know, not principles, but kind of did more flex type of stuff, more hybrid stuff, and it didn't work. They junked that and went more to the usual stuff, and now they're back being a flex type or a hybrid type defense. Yeah, that is that's exactly what happened, John. They uh, they uh, got rid of Marquand Manuel for whatever reason we don't know. Uh, you know, Marquand had the ear of his defenders, and and, and they played what he wanted them to play. That was a pretty good defense. They uh, uh, he lost three players that year: Grady Jarrett, Deion Jones, and uh, Keanu Neal. So uh, right up the middle. So they got rid of him, and then the guys they didn't take to Jerome Henderson cost Jerome Henderson his job, and pretty much ran around the first half of the season lost in the secondary. You saw it in the Seattle game where DK Metcalf was wide open in the end zone with nobody near him. So uh, you know. Uh, they're going back to it because I think Raheem Morris um, can teach this type of uh, defense, this split defense that they need to match up with uh, strength in Tampa Bay and the NFC South with the running backs and the good tight ends and so forth. So uh, we've, we've seen them listing the big nickel as their starting defense right now. Hmm. Kind of fascinating. So big. So they're going to do a lot of big nickel. But of course, what you wonder about are the uh, are the cornerbacks right now worth a nickel? Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly the point. The last time we saw a rookie AJ Terrell uh, was in the national championship game, and he was chasing a whole bunch of LSU receivers down the field uh, in that game. But they took him 16th overall because they liked his moxie or whatever, but uh, and they think he can play, and they think they got him ready by having him go against Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley in the uh, in the training camp. On the other side, Isaiah Oliver kind of took to Raheem's teaching, uh, but they kind of wanted Kendall Sheffield to beat him out. But Sheffield wasn't up to the task and has been hurt with the left foot injury. So now they have to go back to Isaiah Oliver, whom they've been trying to replace since the middle of last year. So, um, you know, guys have been able to get off the line free on him and get open and do what they wanted to him. Uh, he stays close and tries to get back in contact. But that's not good enough against good quarterbacks and top-flight receivers. No, that's that's true, and that's got to be, I guess, a big concern as far as where that's going to go. Uh, how, uh, I guess, is there enough of a pass rush? Because I mean, here are two teams last year that ended up not having a pass rush, twenty-eight each. Seattle with sacks and uh, Falcons with sacks. Uh, did Dante Fowler be enough of an upgrade, or where are they as far as the pass rush? Well, yeah, Dante, uh, 11.5 over 8. That's a slight upgrade. But how many was his 11.5, um, uh, uh, you know, from attributed to Aaron Donald chasing the quarterback to him? Can Grady Jarrett do that same thing? You know, I heard Matt, Mark Schlaver call Grady uh, Aaron Donald light. So, um, you know, those two guys are the ones you got to look for for pass rush. And then after that, you're dreaming or hoping that some guys can come to play ball for you this year. Pac McKinley, the former first-round pick, you know, only 3.5 sacks last year. Can he have a breakout year? Uh, you got um, John Comiskey, a fourth-round guy from Charleston Division II school. You're going to play him because your second-round pick, Marlon Davidson, is hurt. 
uh, with a knee strain, is probably not going to be ready to start the season. And then you got Allen Bailey and Taylor Davidson. Those are run-stuffing guys. And then you picked up Charles Harris from Miami, former first-round pick, who only has 3.5 sacks in 41 games. So um, they're, they're going to fabricate the pass rush from somewhere, and they got a lot of hope that some people can come through for them. But they only got two proven pass rushers. That's the count. Uh, Fowler, who just had the one good year last year. Offensive line has been an issue now for the last several years. Have they sorted that out? They think they have. Uh, they they built a run blocking line. Uh, you know, they got Caleb McGarry out of Washington, which you know I got in trouble with when I said uh, you know my people told me he was going to have trouble uh, against athletic players, and he uh, cut the cord in the locker room there uh, in college. Uh, so everybody was vouching for him, but still, he gave up 13 sacks last year. You can't have that. Uh, Chris Lindstrom at right guard, he, he looks like a player. Uh, he was uh, working out with Keenan Forney, former Falcons guard. Uh, him and McGarry were working out uh, with him, and uh, he thinks he's going to be fine. Uh, the left guard is uh, they're going to start James Carpenter to start the season because Matt Hennessy, the third-round pick, uh, has been hurt. He's got a slight right knee uh but he's back at practice, so they're going to try to get it where he can work in a little bit. And then Jake Matthews at, at left tackle. They're going to try to run the outside zone and uh, run the ball with Gurley and then be able to pass, play action pass off of that. That's their plan going in. Uh, but if the defense is giving up points like they were hemorrhaging last year, uh, you know, then they're back in the same boat with uh, – uh, being in a lot of passing situations and not having a good pass block in line. Is there any decrease, I would imagine, not in the play of Matt Ryan? I haven't seen it. Um, if you if you protect him and he, he gets the uh, front part of the pocket, he's going to beat you. Uh, just so happens the last couple years they had eight different combinations at guard center last year, and it wasn't much better the year before that. They've been uh, – uh, trying to fix that since Andy Levitre retired and Chris Chester left uh, after the Super Bowl year. After 17, uh, you know, they, they've had a couple whacks at it and haven't gotten it right thus far. Yeah, kind of interesting to see how that's going to work out. What do, what do you see for as far as uh, the, the three receivers? Is it going to be more three receiver or are they going to use more two tight, tight end? Or, uh, you know, what changes are going to be there in the offense? Yeah, no, I think they're sticking with uh, three uh, three receivers. They like Russell Gage. Uh, he's got a groin injury, so maybe not this week. Maybe Seattle will get to see uh, a little bit more Luke Stocker and Hayden Hurst. Uh, but, yeah, the plan was to go with a lot of 11 personnel. He likes that, uh, and he, he can spread the field with that and, uh, uh, you know, make some lanes for Gurley with that. So uh, that's the long-term plan, but this week with uh, – with Gage out and, uh, you know, the people behind them, all kind of, you know, uh, suspect guys uh, after they had to cut Laquan Treadwell, uh, I think Luke Stocker would be a better option for them. And double tights and running out of that may be a better option here against Seattle. And, of course, obviously the big one of the big stories of the offseason was uh, the signing of Todd Gurley. Uh, Gurley, of course, was making over $14 million with the Rams. His uh, arthritic knee caused problems. Uh, how's Gurley look so far, and what are the expectations for him? Yeah, John, when he first got here, it looked a little sketchy. Uh, you know, he was uh, 
hadn't, uh, you know, been under the, the, the guidance of trainers. It was pretty clear. So, you know, they got that stretched out. Uh, and then by the time they played their third exhibition game, he looked like the girly of old, uh, running on air, mind you. You know, they weren't, they weren't tackling and so forth. But, uh, uh, he's got, they think he's got something left in the tank. And, uh, as a baseline, they believe last year was, uh, the baseline, the 17 touches, uh, uh, for him would probably be, you know, the match. Uh, they do know they got to manage him. He doesn't practice every day of the week. They knew, they know he's going to be on a touch count. But they really want to unleash him in the red zone. That's where 11 of his rushing touchdowns came last year. So if they can move it to the red zone and bring him in, uh, that's one way to use him. And then uh, uh, they got a committee behind them to keep him fresh. And and uh, Brian Hill, Edo Smith, and uh, Quadri Olison to you know, try to maximize whatever he's got left in the tank. And it doesn't cost him much. It's only $5.5 million. And, um, you know, maybe they get to cash in big at the running back position. And then finally, how hot is the seed for Dan Quinn? It's pretty hot. Uh, Mike Smith had two losing seasons, and he was gone. Uh, Dan had two losing seasons. I think uh, it's 24 and 24 since the Super Bowl. Uh, they pin this roster like it's a Super Bowl winning roster. I mean, they're right up against the cap. They're going to be $75 million in the hole uh, next year. Uh, so, so you know, they they paid this team like it was going to be in the Super Bowl for years to come, and, and they have it. Uh, and, and a lot of folks point to Kyle Shanahan leaving the, for San Francisco as being the reason and uh, not giving uh, Coach Quinn much of the credit for that one season. So, uh, I mean, it's going to be tough to move on coming off of a pandemic year with the quarterback at 35 and your top receiver at 31. Uh, so, uh you know, it might uh, might might uh, be okay if they can kind of get through and get back to the playoffs some kind of way. Okay. Hey, D. Ledbetter, great stuff as always. You can read him at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And uh, too bad I'm not going to be able to see you this week because uh, just like everybody else, uh, you know, if you're not, if it's on the road, you're working from home. That's right, John. We'll be sheltering in place uh, at home during the, uh, this season, and we'll get to go to the stadium for home games. But, uh, going to be a different season. Let's hope everybody stays safe and get to the other side of this COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic. That's great. Hey, Dee Ledbetter, thanks for joining us. Thank you, John. Take care and have a great day. Hey, remember that the Seahawks will take on the Falcons this Sunday at 10 a.m. on 710 ESP in Seattle. That means you can hear the Mariner game in its entirety on 770. The Mariner game is going to be on 770 KTTH. Coming up next, we're going to go behind the lines and check out what's going on in the National Football League. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On demand with the 710 Seattle Sports app. And, of course, uh, we go behind the lines right now on what's going to be a busy day. And i tell you what, uh, Curtis, I know it's exciting for me, probably not exciting for you, but, you know, this is the first day with every all the injury reports coming in. Now, we had oh, the injury man. report from Kansas City and Houston, and all my years at ESPN, I was always the injury guy. And so, you know, trying to go on the air, give the injury updates and all that. And, you know, this is going to be one of the smallest lists, mainly because you don't have all the preseason uh, games and the injury carryovers and all that stuff. But there's significant, because I know I was uh, counting it up before uh, coming on. Uh, I saw about maybe roughly 18 starters that are, are you know, right now going to be on the uh, initial 
injury list as far as you know IR or you know the three week IR, which is now the minimum which you can bring a guy back. But again, that list is going to grow today. You know, Von Miller, for example, is one player that had his ankle surgery, and so he's going to be out for the entire year, and so he'll go on the injured list today. And of course, you have other guys. I mean, there's concern right now, uh, particularly down in Miami, because uh, there's an Achilles injury that could affect Byron Jones. Now, you know, it's not, it may not be serious. It may be. But boy, I tell you what, if that happens, then what you're talking about is some of the, you know, because there's only like about maybe what, seven or eight defensive players in unrestricted free agency that uh, ended up getting more than $13 million a year. And uh, Trey Waynes is already out with a pec injury. You know, Javon Hargrave, a $13 million defensive tackle for Philadelphia. He's trying to see if he's going to be able to play. And now if you take away Jones, who is actually the highest paid player, we should get this message over to Genevieve and Clowney that, uh, okay, he got 16-5 and you could have had 17 and you didn't take it. You would have been the highest paid guy in unrestricted free agency, but he held on to $20 million too long. Again, you know, the injury stuff is going to be, you know, critical. And then what you're going to see is that there'll be a lot of injuries, particularly that everybody's going to be treating on Monday. Yeah, the Byron Jones one, if that is anything serious, I mean, boy, that's going to be a huge loss for the Dolphins, a team that I think a lot of people are expecting them to be on the rise, not necessarily a playoff team, although there was somebody that had the Dolphins win in the AFC East this year. I forget who it was, but I don't see that happening no. quite yet, maybe next year or the year after that. Uh, but, yeah, if Byron Jones is out for any extended period of time, that is a huge blow to that defense, especially with the expectations that they had for him. Another injury, John, uh, Adam Schefter reporting today, the Chargers anticipate being without center Mike Pouncey this week. Uh, he hasn't practiced at all because of a hip injury. What do you know about that? Yeah, I mean, he hasn't done anything all uh, in, a, in a long period of time. And so now you're out, you're starting center. Derwin James is out for the season, you know, with his, uh, his, his meniscus injury. And so that's going to be a big blow. And, you know, you notice, uh, you know, Phillip Rivers has not really had good blocking in the last couple of years. And Pouncey was, you know, he and Russell Okung were one of the best that he had. And Okung's gone, and now Pouncey's going to be out. <clears throat> and they have a bunch of draft choices that really haven't worked out. So that, that's a big blow. And so uh, that, that's going to hurt. How about what's going on in Philadelphia? Because I just have bad vibes vibes about that. You know, Philadelphia, you know, they've already lost Andre Dillard. They've already lost uh, Brandon Brooks. They're one of the best guards in football. And now we find out that uh, Lane Johnson hasn't practiced in a while. Now, again, he started camp and he had the, the COVID-19. And then, of course, we find out that he had uh, surgery on his ankle sometime uh, or I guess in, in August. We don't know exactly what time, but uh, you wonder. If, now, if you're taking three starters out of your offensive line, you know, they had to come back and they had to, you know, give a, a new contract to Jason Peters, who signed a one-year $3 million deal, but he says, I'm not going to play tackle if you're going to keep me at 3 mil, so they gave him a contract one year, 6 mil, they can get up to 8 mil, but boy, you're talking losing three starters on the offensive line, and you haven't even had a game yet? Yeah, that is a, a brutal start to a season, in and in, in a season where I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on the Eagles to compete because the NFC East, as we saw last year, very wide open. And Philadelphia, I think, has kind of underachieved ever since winning that Super Bowl uh, back in 2017. Now with Lane Johnson out for an extended period of time, Brandon Brooks out, you know, Andre Dillard out, both those guys are done for the year. Uh, it's going to be a very patchwork O-line in Philadelphia and a season in which there's probably some added pressure on Carson Wentz to not just perform but also stay healthy the entire way through. Not easy to do that when there are, what, 
three different starters and, and somebody that nearly wasn't going to come back and Jason Peters, who's probably entering his final season or final two seasons, however it may be. Uh, but, yeah, it, it is not looking good for Philadelphia right now in terms of the injuries. Uh, another key injury, John, that would be in Tampa Bay. Bruce Arians uh, speaking to reporters Friday morning, uh, talking about Mike Evans, saying he'll likely be a game-time decision uh, it'll be a heck of a, a game for the Buccaneers as they play the Saints. Tom Brady's debut. Do you think Mike Evans will be able to to give it a go? It's 50-50. I guess the encouraging thing, at least he was on the practice field today doing a few things. And, you know, so and they need him because, you know, I was talking to different people around the country in the last couple of days and see if you agree. I wish Maura Dooley were here to be able to confirm this. But it's like, uh, OK, you know, you know, Tom Brady's the greatest quarterback ever. Bill Belichick, the best coach ever. And this is the greatest dynasty maybe in sports history. But one thing that Bill was not able to do well was draft wide receivers. That's one of the weaknesses that he has. And so now what I contend, if Mike Evans, if he's healthy and uh, you have Chris Godwin, you have three tight ends, including O.J. Howard, Cameron Brait, and Rob Gronkowski. I mean, you have LaShawn McCoy, Leonard Fournette, uh, you have, and uh, Ronald Jones at running back. Am I wrong in thinking this might be the most talented group of skilled players that uh, he's ever worked with, Tom Brady? It's very possible. It's very possible, especially this wide receiver group. The only wide receivers, I think, that are comparable to what he's going to be working with this year in Tampa Bay were those that 07 Patriots team when you had Wes Welker and Randy Moss to throw to. Uh, you know, th- those teams put up prodigious numbers offensively through the air. Uh, I think he could be doing something very similar to that, what we're seeing here in Tampa Bay with Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, two guys who put up huge numbers with Jameis Winston, who is not the same kind of quarterback as Tom Brady is. So uh, I think Brady right now is just living it up in Tampa Bay. He is. I think he's glad to be there and, and to have this opportunity, and I think – for him, I think it is a better shot at winning a title in Tampa Bay than it would be in New England at this time. I don't see the Patriots competing for an AFC crown over the next couple of seasons as they kind of figure out who they are. Meanwhile, the Bucks have you know tailored everything to Tom Brady and have kind of said, we're going to do whatever it takes to get you that, that elusive seventh ring here. Uh, so who knows how it's going to look, but I think Tampa Bay has really done a good job of surrounding Tom Brady with enough talent. Oh, yeah, and, and, and just even adding Leonard Fournette, uh, I know it's up and down in Jacksonville, but just to add him I thought was huge because now you have three options and three pretty good options. Yeah, and it's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting to see who gets the bulk of the carries there. Bruce Arians has been kind of mum on who's going to get the majority of them. I, I would be surprised if Fournette gets the most simply because he's – only been in camp for a few days. It hasn't been. Yeah, I think they're they're going to start Ronald Jones and then mix uh, Lashawn McCoy in on uh, passing downs, and you know they're going to be out of a two tight end set. And then what they'll do is try to you know maybe give a couple two three series to Leonard Fournette who's just getting there. Hey, coming up next, we're going to get together and uh, talk to Michael Bumpus and get his feeling for the opener. It's the John Clayton Show, seven ten ESPN Seattle.